You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 133, covering Gambit Part 2 and Phantasms. Hello, friends. Hi, people. Once again, here we are to talk about some Star Trek with you. A couple of silver spoons. And here we are, face to face. A couple of silver spoons. Can we watch Silver Spoons this week instead? I think we can, actually. Can we watch um, any of the NBC sitcoms from that era that all crossed over with each other, which would also be different strokes and also uh, um, the facts of life? Name two more. Well, the facts of life then, I believe, spun off to... No, can't do it. Mrs. Uh, was Mrs. the Cosby show on... Uh... No, 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 no. That's way later. Because mm, I was going to say different stroke or different uh, different world. No, different world spun off from Cosby. Yeah, but uh, different different world was to the Cosby Show what Deep Space Nine was to Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like really good and political. D- yes, really featuring, good and political. Featuring Kai Win. <laughs> it's when uh, one of Cosby's daughters went off to college and dealt with Gul Dukat <laughs> and the wormhole. <laughs> Who made you the chief administrator of this college? Right. That opened up next to a wormhole. Mm. Well, it was it was a really out of nowhere college that that they were not crazy about being at until the wormhole opened up and suddenly it was a really big deal. Why don't we just watch Deep Space Nine? How about that? Yeah, all right. <sighs> what I'm trying to say is, I don't, don't want these weren't the worst episodes no. by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I'm uh, so bored. Mm-hmm. Just just bored. Yeah. That's all. I should not be bored watching Star Trek. I should be excited. Yeah. Or at the very least, at the very least laughing at it. Or at the very least amused, yeah. Yeah, but I was neither. No. I was neither amused nor... What's the other one? Uh, B-mused? B-mused. Thank you. I was yeah. C-mused. <laughs> and nobody wants that. You want A-mused or B-mused, you do not want C-mused. And of course I was Jason-mused. Right. Of course. Snooch to the booch. <laughs> Or something, I don't know. Why don't I tell you about Gambit Part 2? Hey, how's about that? The exciting conclusion to Gambit Part 1. Well, the Who's, conclusion, anyway. The the equally exciting conclusion. <laughs> Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. The captain is dead. Don't tell me I'm not sad. I miss my dad. Pirates! Yo-ho-ho, number one. Yamaglachi. And now the conclusion. Riker and Picard are still playing pirate, crossing and double-crossing and crisscrossing the various crew members until their pants go backwards. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Captain Data is not putting up with any of First Officer Worf's, I don't like this plan, I want to shoot everybody, I have no respect for the chain of command, why doesn't anybody like me? Bullshit. Which I guess is supposed to make us feel sad for Worf, but I don't. Back on the ship, the Romulan chick, a.k.a. the only renegade archaeologist who doesn't have hair like she's in the band Poison, <laughs> reveals to Picard that she's actually a Vulcan. Uh, right, she's Savic. I called that in the last episode, except, wait, no, different Vulcan. She's a top-secret Vulcan looking for a top-secret magic mind weapon, except, wait, no, she's actually not. Think she ends up being Romulan again anyway? Or maybe an evil Vulcan, which is effectively the same thing? I don't know. She said logical a lot. You make of that whatever you like. The renegade ship boards the Enterprise, and after some needlessly elaborate phaser play, Riker's back aboard, and he orders them to chase Picard and other pirates to the site of the Vulcan magical mind temple thing or whatever. Then evil not Savic activates the device, but Picard defeats it with the power of love, quipping, don't need no credit card to ride this train, before punching her in the face and resuming his command. 
I can see that working so perfectly. Well, yes. When watch they... out, watch out, Picard! I'm going to zap you with this thing. Oh yeah. Well, the Don't power of love is a curious to, thing. To ride this train, right. pow! Well, when you they fall off a cliff, when they turn him into an action hero, that is t what tends to happen. Yep. And they've done it in a few episodes here and there. They'll do it way more in the movies. Yep. And... The line must be drawn here. Yeah. Although in uh, First Contact, they give Worf the the money one, which is assimilate this. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Not a good line. No, not really. Not a good movie, but we'll get to that. And then he punches them off into space. Like, what? That Borg's just never going to be anyone's problem ever again? Nope. Well, he'll be no Borg at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Flying through the air. With the greatest, With the greatest of, ease. of ease. Yep. Stop that. You stop it. So, I did. I was trying to push forward, and then you brought <laughs> you pulled me right back. Every time I, try, I think I'm out, you pull me back in. So this was pretty much exactly the same as the other one. It was. I enjoyed it more than part one, but not. You know, that's not saying a whole lot. No, I believe where we came in on that was I thought it was entirely average. You thought it was slightly below average, and I think now you think this yeah. one is average, slightly above average. Right? I'm, no, no, I, I wouldn't go that far. I maintain both of these are a solid five on a scale of one to ten. They are completely unremarkable. Not yep. bad. Not good. Just sort of there. Yep. Um. These are the so-so voyages of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> In fact, I'm just going to jump to my bad thing. Why, yeah, you do that. Why the ever-loving hell was this a two-parter? I can't even, like, I checked on Memory Alpha, and I can't even say see anything that's like, well, we we wanted to pad out the budget or something. Yeah, that happens sometimes. It feels like they just wanted to pad out a script. It could have been a fun little one-off adventure. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a departure from form. It's like a we're we're not even going to spend hardly any time on the Enterprise. We're going to run off and be space pirates for an episode. For yeah. one episode, I'd be fine with that. For two, it starts to get tedious. And yeah, it's like there's all this added stuff, you know. Yeah, all these characters. I don't really care if they live or die. The nope. situations. I don't really care if they get resolved or not. I just I don't care that much. It's like, are we supposed to be invested in this pirate crew? Because that's not going to happen. No. And are we supposed to think that Picard and or Riker are in danger? Because we know better than that. Yeah, of course we do. There are ways to make us care about this. And one of those ways involves not spending quite so much time with people we know we're never going to see again. Mm -hmm. That's part it, of the problem right there. Yeah. So, so there's that. Uh, did you have a good thing? Uh, I did. I did have a good thing. And that good thing is, uh, I actually like the idea of a weapon that amplifies telepathic impulses, which is what it was. I don't know if I mm -hmm. made that clear in my summary or not. I no, but it, it makes sense for, like, a Vulcan weapon. Yeah, I, I like, sci-fi-wise, I like mm -hmm. it. It makes sense in a culture of telepaths. Like, the, the okay, overpowering it with the power of peace was, was yeah. a, a bit lame. But uh, I, I kind of like when we explore the weird possibility. Like, when they, when they established the Vulcans in the original series, they gave them all these weird things. Mm-hmm. They gave him the ability to read minds, then they gave him sort of a vague, like, actual telepathy. Yeah. And the, then they, you know, they, they have the, the nerve pinch, and they have the, the repressed emotions. I mean, there's all this stuff, and you, you wonder, okay, first of all, where did it all come from? Which, unfortunately, Enterprise will whiz down its leg. But then also... So, you want to know where all the Vulcan stuff came from, huh? No. Well, now we'll make it so you get that way. Not enterprise -y, the unnecessary <laughs> backstory sprite. <laughs> Also known as Brandon Braga. <laughs> <laughs> but
but then also you take those things and you sort of extrapolate what their culture could be like, what possible technology could exist, what cultural things could exist. Oh, yeah. And you get That's cool where things. one of the best Trek novels came from. Well, yeah. Uh, you're talking about Spock's world, right? I am indeed. Yes, which I absolutely adore. One of my favorite, mm-hmm. if not my favorite, uh, Trek book. Yep. Um, but also you get like uh, Star Trek Three. You get the thing with the Katra. You get like, well, if these guys can exchange minds with each other, then maybe you could also sort of take someone's mind, you know, take their essence when they're dead. Like it, it's not that much more of a of a jump. No, it's that thing that I like when Star Trek does it, which is you take an existing thing and you you tease it out and you see what else it it can do. Mm-hmm. And that's what this feels like. But uh, yeah, the way they defeat it is is a bit stupid, which brings us to your bad thing. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was mostly okay with this episode until the end, and then, God, it got bad. Mm. So they find the magical Vulcan death weapon, and then they defeat it by using the power of peace, which, even for Star Trek, is some really embarrassing hippie crap. <laughs> like, I mean, if nothing else, Worf should be dead. Yeah, because it goes to each one of them uh-huh. and, and tries to kill them. It tries to use their negative emotions against them, their their feelings of, of hostility. And, okay, Riker might be able to clear his mind and, and, and you know... Uh, and of course, we don't know what lieutenant and Yeah, Ensign miscellaneous security guy number three. Guys. I mean, they don't have any personalities whatsoever, so sure. clearly they can't feel war-like. Right, but then but then Worf, I mean, come on. How can he I'm, completely, like, get all that stuff out of his head? There's no way. I mean, that dude's always kind of mad. Yeah, that's sort of his thing. That's his secret, Cap. He's always angry. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and then it feels like evil Vulcan, possibly, lady, mm. throws this weird-ass rippling armist energy at various <sighs> people for, like, ten fucking minutes. Well, it yeah, like we said, first... it goes it goes to each person individually, yeah. and it it goes very slowly. It's like it very slowly it 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 almost wanders over to Riker, yeah. and attacks him, sidles up, and, and then it strolls over to Lieutenant whoever. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're not wrong mm-hmm. about that, but in general, I don't know. I think it wasn't a bad MacGuffin. I think it could have been handled better. I think it could have mm-hmm. been more interesting. And I don't know. Like, there's a lot of you. You said this as you were watching it. There's a lot of good ideas. Yeah, in this there's stuff. There, there's ideas in here that I really that I really like. I like the idea of uh, of Picard being undercover on a pirate ship. I like the idea of like you know the secret Vulcan weapon that everyone's sort of racing towards. You know, I like. Yeah, like I like. All they're this the stuff. only ones that were uh, aware of it. As it turned out, it wasn't like in the chase where everyone knew there was some secret thing that yeah. they all wanted to get to. There was only the one, and that was part of it. Is there's no real sense of urgency. Is like you know what they'll get to it when they get to it. If they don't show up to this thing for a year, eh, that's fine. Nobody else is looking for it. You're you're right. Like this real this really feels like a very very slow paced episode. You know, well, just like I said, sort of there's no urgency. Around. There's no sense that you have to do this right now. And I think a lot of that is to do with it being a two parter. Yeah, because we can basically take our time doing everything because we're basically trying to cram one episode into two episodes. And I can think here. I can think of whole blocks of stuff you could chop out. Yeah. Where you could make this a pretty tight, pretty interesting 47-minute episode. Mm. Like, fucking Picard and Riker sneak off to have secret plans on the ship like 8 million times. And it feels like it would be way more tense if they couldn't communicate with each other because they're supposed to hate each other. Right. And then you're really depending on this six-year relationship of, well, I hope he knows what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that you're right. That could be cool. But, like, you know... Their entire plan hinges on no one knowing that they're like, that they know each other. 
And they spend and they so much time hanging out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. On the other hand, who wants to watch a Star Trek episode where no one we know talks to anyone else we know for the entire hour? Well, that's true. If if Picard and Riker are in the same room and never talk to each other, I could see how that could be played up for tension, but I could also see how it would be kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, but those are the only guys we know in this room. Why why are they why are they pretending they don't know each other? This is stupid. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I just I feel like there's a way to do that, and I feel like doing it for like one episode would have been would well, have been cool. Most of the problems I think both of us had with with this two parter would have been resolved if they just made it one part, right? Because it was a fun little. It was very different. It was yeah. very different than your typical Star Trek episode, which I don't mind in a one off. No, I'm fine with that. But a two parter feels like it should be huge. It should be a big yeah. deal. Like I've talked repeatedly about two parters and how they whiz it down their leg. But for instance, Spock. Mm. They did mess that up, but it was a big deal, and they gave yeah. it the two parts that it deserved. Whether or not they delivered is a whole other issue, but that was Spock. Mm. It deserved two parts. This did not deserve two parts. No. That's that's all I'm saying. Also, I'm not sure why it was called Gambit. Yeah? Nothing was really point. Gambity. No, I suppose that's true. Do you even nope. know what that means apart from the X-Men character? No, I do. Okay, then. Risky. Ah, risky. Sort of. I don't know. Anyway. Um, speaking of characters interacting with each other, though. Yes. My good thing. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in this, um, where, uh, D- where, like, Worf has spent the, ever since everyone else left and Data got put in charge, Worf decided to take the checkoff seat and just grumble about everything ha- that's happening. Well, he's actually first officer, but yeah, as as far as uh, dynamic goes, yeah, he's totally doing the, I'm going to openly bitch about everything you yeah. do. <laughs> I just, and I feel like Data's like... Jeez, you know, last time I was captain, I had to deal with some racist asshole, too. I expect better from my friend Worf. Yeah, this dude that I've known for six years that we hang out in our spare time. Yeah. Come on, man. No, and you but, um, you particularly said that you liked the scene after their little yeah. showdown on the bridge. Yeah, so so Data's like, Worf, can I see my quarters for a se- or the ready room for a second? Mm. Of course, Commander. He's going to tell me I'm doing a good I'm job. I'm going to get a gold star. No, you're going to get yelled at. Oh, and that way Data yells at people. Well, and it's great. There's actually a moment where we pointed it out when we were watching where they they do sort of a close up of Spiner with uh, Worf entering sort of, you know, like in the angle behind. So you see his face change. You see him going from the blank Data, like activating his scolding program. Yeah. Because you can see it. You can see he's in the foreground, and you see his face go from neutral to sort of scowly, and then he turns around and starts yelling at Worf. Yep. And I'm sure that was a deliberate acting choice, and I love that. Yeah. But it's a it's a really great scene between two characters that you don't see a whole lot of together. Uh, I do not agree that it was a great scene. I think it was it was a fine scene. Oh, see, I liked it. Uh, in this episode, it's what passes for a great scene. Uh, that is true. Because it wasn't boring, but it was, uh, I don't know. I feel like these two don't really have anything in common. I feel like they're both so awkward. They don't, they, they say that they're friends, but that's pretty much what their, their friendship consists of saying, we're friends. Yes, that's, we are friends. That's what they, they, it's like they don't really understand what it is. See, that's the best part when it, turn, when it takes a turn for the adorable and... Data's like, Worf's just about to leave, and Data's like, I'm sorry that we're not friends anymore because I yelled at you. And then Worf's like, I'm sorry that we're not friends anymore because I was a bad first officer. And then they decide to be best friends after all. Right. Or if not best friends, then acquaintances who acknowledge each other. Definitely not best friends because Geordi can never uh, be usurped in that regard. No. That that will always be the Geordi spot. And for (laughs) Worf, it will be no one. So, Commander, uh, now that we are best friends, do you think we could hang out sometime? Um, 
No. No, I don't think so. I gotta go do something with Alexander. Oh, no, you don't. You don't have to lie to me. And Data's thinking, I must remember that now that we are friends, I must get him to cat sit for me. <laughs> Which will pay off in space. <laughs> See? It works. It's a good episode. Continuity. <laughs> Speaking of characters who are a little intimidating, um, there was a great Klingon character. Yes! Like, you you know, you talk about Worf being scowly and, and, and questioning Data's decisions and everything. Worf was nothing compared to the Klingon guest star of the week. The fucking 50-foot Klingon? Yeah, which I uh, you confirmed this looking on Memory Alpha. It, it seemed like one of those they knew an athlete, like a basketball star or something. You know, yeah. some, some big, giant, eight-foot-tall guy wanted to be a Klingon because he doesn't act much. He says, like, two things, but mostly he just stands there and glowers yep. and looks menacing. And, no, uh, apparently uh, some basketball star got into an elevator with Rick Berman, and mm -hmm. by the time the elevator let out, the dude was going to cameo. That's cool. Yeah. They did a lot of that. They did a lot of, like, minor celebrities, and there was an astronaut in one of them. Oh, yeah, that was one a couple of weeks ago. I remember that. That was one a couple of weeks ago where you said, hey, how you doing? Like, you know, yeah. it was one of those, like, uh, lieutenants at the, at the con or at the uh, transporter controls or whatever, where one of us was like, hey, she's attractive, and it turned out she was an astronaut. Yeah, she was an attractive astronaut. So you, she turned your head, and she's been to space. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good for her. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Nice work. Yes. Um, this dude just I, must be seven and a half feet tall would be my guess. Oh, my God. He gets out of his little shuttlecraft, which he clearly cannot fit into. That is the largest shuttle he could afford. Should and be there before we made something <laughs> fun. Uh, fucking Bever comes up to his knee. Yeah. Now, granted, they do this trick where he's further up the ramp to the shuttle. Yes. It makes him look even taller. But yeah, he is a full two or three heads above Dorn, which means when he, when they're standing on level ground, he's still a good head taller than him. Yeah. There, there's a reason he never met Riker. Yeah. This guy would have to put, like, his leg up and then put his, like, bend his leg around and put his leg up there as well. <laughs> like, he'd have to have triple jointed knees to be able to fit in the frame properly. Yeah. Well, as we all know, Klingons have always had triple-jointed knees in case one of the joints breaks. Of course. Of course. Well, when the when the plot calls for it, anyway. Yeah. Remember that time a safe fell on Worf's knees and he had to... <laughs> Come on, safes are dangerous. It's barrels. <laughs> barrels are his enemy. <laughs> I got a safe. <sighs> all right, then. <laughs> so, what else? What else? I don't really have much. It was just kind of mm, more of the same as last week. I, I have no straightforward. Yeah. What'd you think of? Uh, here's a, here's the thing. What do, what do you think the was she a Romulan or a Vulcan or what? I do, I I didn't want to talk about it too much because I wasn't paying attention, and I I hate calling attention to the fact on the show that I I'm so bored that I don't you know like I should be paying attention. I really should be. We watched these twice, and I should know exactly what happened, and I didn't care enough to no because see i i i was i was paying attention the first time through gambit and it never comes up okay no because when she reveals that she's not a romulan yeah or, no, no no rather okay yeah she reveals she's she not starts a romulan. off saying she's a romulan yeah and then she says no i'm really with the vulcans and right then picard, and she starts playing it up yeah and then picard figures it out and says no you're not then she doesn't say anything further or it's just like no you're right i'm not no, or maybe were, i am they were talking about the vulcan separatists yeah is she part of them i think that's she what was. i assume like i that's what i thought was she was a vulcan separatist but i don't know yeah i also don't care no is the problem 
She's the bad guy. That's really all I needed to know. Yep. You could tell because she wore black. Yeah. There's um, there's this whole thing with Worf that really bugs me where mm. he, um, they want to find one of the pieces to the artifact because you have to find the three pieces to activate the pylon to activate the mass device or the, right. or the weather dominator or whatever the fuck this thing is. Right. That's just, you know, that's just classic TV. Right. And, uh, of course, there's three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to stop this this giant Klingon's shuttle. And he just starts inventing reasons to break the law to do yep. it. Like, no, these people are protected by Federation law. Well, why don't we just say uh, health and safety? Yeah. Because that's wrong. That's why. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've all said, like, okay, Gene's sterile future where everyone's perfect and blah, blah, blah. is, is, is a little too perfect and all. But on the other hand, you don't just go blatantly violating people's civil rights because, you know, you, you want to find something that you think they have. That's like, I, that's like a cop saying, I, I'll just pull you over because I don't like the way you look. That's yeah. not cool, man. Uh, I found a joint in your back seat. Yeah. Now you're going to jail. Right. It's, it's, he just... I'd say he's racially profiling, except, you know, he's wharf. <laughs> he's height uh, profiling. But it's it's... And Data's cool with it. Yeah, That's everyone the is. They keep, yeah, but particularly Data, mm-hmm. who, the, I pointed this out last week, when you do that cute Star Trek thing of, oh, we're breaking the rules, wink, wink, why don't we just look the other way? I understand other characters do that. I understand one human to another, or Klingon or whatever, can just go, well, I didn't see that, it didn't happen. I feel like Data can't do that. See, I would agree with you, except that now we're seeing a lot of precedent that he can do that. Now, I don't know if that's well, bad character or evolving character, but, like, he just did this with Jordy. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This is the second time we've seen that. I think it's bad character. Mm. It's precedent now. If you write a character bad a few times, then basically it becomes, well, that's why, because he did I it I guess before. he's just bad now. Yeah, but I, I personally don't think Data would do that. I think... Like, I don't usually get into this. I don't usually mm. get into what a character would do or wouldn't do. But the robot, with the black and white sense of morality, would not break a law. Mm-hmm. That's just how I feel about that. That seems pretty straightforward to me. Yeah. But what do I know? Well, I mean, by this point, probably quite a bit about Star Trek, at least. Uh, you'd think. I don't pay that much I attention. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you if she was a Romulan or a Vulcan. I didn't even know we were watching Star Trek until uh, until halfway through season two of the original series. I thought we were watching the old uh, Star Wars cartoon droids. I thought we were watching Silver Spoons. <laughs> Here we are once again. <laughs> um, there's a there's a nice little bit at the end where uh, Picard's like, "Well, uh, I guess it's back to duty with me." No, nope, you've been declared dead. Good, I'm going to sleep then. <laughs> And then, uh... Riker's like, well, I guess I'm in charge. Yeah. And the data goes, no, because you broke about 12 different Federation laws, apparently. Yeah, you were actually declared, uh, that you abandoned your post and, and that you're a traitor. You were declared crime. Yes. So you're going to the brig now. <laughs> and you're like, ha, 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 okay. No, really, you're going to the brig now. And that's Come how the on, episode ends. Come on, the brig. Data. Wait, no, Data! And they even have the little music cue that they would have at the end of uh, original series episodes when they ended with a joke, you know, wah, 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 wah. Yep. It was pretty funny. It was. It was a little forced, but it was still kind of funny. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right. You got anything um, else? I did want to bring up, I've never talked about this before, and it surprises me I, I, that I haven't. Um, 
Worf's annoyed guy face. <laughs> His Charlie Brown crooked mouth. Yes! Which then led us to imagine the entire crew as various people from the Peanuts cast. God. How badly do you want to see Troy behind a uh, Psychiatry Five Cents booth? <laughs> the funny thing is we were riffing on that for a long time before that part of it even came to us. Yeah. It's like, well, of course, then she'd pull the football away from Worf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the Van Pelts have no honor. Dorn does have, because uh, we talked a bit about this. I've talked a little about the varying degrees of his anger. Yep. There's his proper, I'm going to kill you anger, and then there's the... Uh, Just the day-to-day, -day, oh my god, uh, these people. But but Annoyed is another shade of that. Mm -hmm. And Dorn manages to play a, a million different variations of, I am angry or annoyed with you, <laughs> and manages to make each one of them unique and individual, which is impressive. Like, his emotional range is all in the same tiny little range, but it's still huge. It's pretty impressive. It is. It's wonderful. All right. Anything further from you? No, let's fan some tasms. No, not just yet. I got to tell you a quote first. Oh, yeah. Quote it up, quotey. My quote was going to be the one at the end, but I kind of like this bit here near the beginning where Riker's got to kind of continue to uh, establish his cred on the pirate ship. And so he, um, I said pirate ship. You said fucking pirate ship i accurately said it it's not like i it's not like a slip nope I'm talking about it the was... pirate ship in this episode <laughs> remember that time Riker was on that pirate ship and he had to establish pirate cred with the pirate crew <laughs> uh and he and so he picks a fight with uh, with picard uh, and it goes thusly what's wrong commander you're having second thoughts about betraying your comrades because that's what you've done betrayed them Betrayed them in order to save yourself. You used to be just a second-rate officer. Now you're a traitor and a coward. How does that feel? I don't know. How did that feel? Which, I don't know. Something about Riker just punching Picard just made me laugh. It's that whole daddy thing. Yeah. It's the whole vibe we've been talking about the whole time. Just I'm pretty sure now that he's hit Picard, he has to marry Picard's wife. Well, if you're going to go all Freudian with us... Yep. You might as well just push forward to the next episode. Yeah. Ugh. So, phantasms, tell us. <laughs> Within a terrifying dreamscape, uh, okay, it's an empty enterprise, Data encounters a bevy of enraged miners who pull him apart like so much lore. Luckily, it was all just a crazy nightmare that resulted from some undigested beat for possibly Data leaving his dream machine running all night. Meanwhile... Jordy is trying to get the Enterprise's new engines running, or else Picard will be late for a very important dinner. My god, you could cut the tension with a knife. Data, Data, worried about terrifying visions like showing up for a test he didn't study for or having all of his android teeth stolen, goes to see renowned therapist and phallic symbol enthusiast Sigmund Freud. Freud rambles on about his usual psychobabble, and I throw a brick through my TV in anger. Data dreams again, this time visiting Ten Forward, where he sees chilling images, such as Bever drinking a refreshing Riker Colada, and classic character find of 1993, Cake Troy. <laughs> then he awakens in his room, surrounded by loved ones. Assuming he has returned from Oz, Data tells Worf that he will miss him most of all. Returning to engineering, Data begins hallucinating, and borrows a piece of knife-like technology, but not a knife at all, let's be very clear about that, <laughs> and then stabs Troy in the neck. Bever de-stabs D, but in doing so, finds an invisible monster feeding off of her. As this is a Brog episode, no, not even primitive man discovering the sun for the first time is surprised. 
Bever discovers that many of the crew are infected, and, using logic, Picard realizes that these monsters must have something to do with Data's dreams, because why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. Picard and Geordi use incredible technology to enter Data's robot brain and look at his dreams. After battling their way through the enchanted forest of naked Tasha Yars, they arrive in Ten Forward and look and look at weirdness some more. Then Sigmund Freud shows up and saves the day by telling Data to use his magic whistle to blow the monsters away to the warp zone. Everything is back to normal, but Picard misses dinner, so it's a very sad episode. I just couldn't stop thinking you could cut the tension with a knife. Yes, you can also cut Troy with a knife. <laughs> You're not wrong, though, and in fact, that just goes right into my good thing, which is that that banquet thing is actually a real plot. It's not something you invented for a joke. No, it's not. It He gets called over and over again during this episode by this enraged admiral who demands that he be there. Well, and I understand this because I've worked around military people and, and ceremony is very important. And if you duck out of it once or twice, they start to think you're a dick. <laughs> because I I was never much, not that I got invited to the admiral's ball or anything. Mind <laughs> you, but, you know, I mean, once, but, uh, you know. I just, here's Al at the admiral's ball. The thing is, I worked Admiral? on a Navy base. There were admirals. It, oh, I know. It was possible. But... Doesn't make it any less funny. Yeah. I, but, I mean, I worked around military people, and there would be occasionally their, their ceremonies, and, and it's an important thing for them. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And if you don't show up, they take it personally. If you're in the military, I imagine they take it way more personally. And apparently for the last six years, he's ducked out of this thing. Yep. Because Oh, yeah. Oh, what's your excuse this year, Picard? Oh, I was a Borg. Well, whoopty shit. All right. Well, what is it this year? Oh, Klingon Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right. You're not getting out of it next year. Nope. Sorry, Invisible Monsters. Oh, God damn it. Oh, if it only had been a week later, I could have told them I was pirating. <laughs> no, he's Picard... been declared dead. <laughs> Picard can't come. He's dead. Yeah. Oh, is he now? Well, look. Here's Heard the file. Declared dead. Huh. All right, I guess. Picard! He better, I better not see him there next week, then. <laughs> a mother of a... No, I, but it was it was funny. It was funny in a very Kirk way. It was funny in yeah. a very, I'm a captain, I'm out here on the frontier, I don't want to sit behind desks and do stuffy stuff with admirals. It, yeah, it was you that guys kind are of vibe. fucking boring. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the few things he has in common with his predecessor. We've is, actually... We've seen a lot of him in the last few episodes of him ducking the uh, Admiral stuff. Because it was also, like, you know, it was in, uh, what was it, the the Die Hard and the Enterprise one? Yeah, that was, I mean, you know, in, in uh, the production chronology, that would have been a good six months before. But, yeah, it's, mm. it's definitely becoming a bit part of, more of his character. And him coming back from the, uh, the stupid Time Stop episode. Oh, they right, where he had to go. To, but that too. was... That wasn't a admiral thing. That was a uh, some kind of a educational symposium or something. Oh right. Okay. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But in general, maybe neither of us do. No, no. In general, it's a it's a thing about his character where he doesn't like being around boring, stuffy people. Well, no, because you're out in space. You could be looking at cool shit. Right. That's like his favorite thing to do. But think about this. In season one, you would think he'd be all over that because he was kind of presented as the boring, stuffy old man. Yeah. And it's cool that they've developed him enough now where we believe that he's not into that stuff because he's more excited and he's, you know, he's more a man of action than we used to think he was. Yeah. They've done a good job of of sort of rehabilitating what could have been a very boring character, mm-hmm. which I like. But yeah, the, the him, the, the running, basically the tension apart from, oh, no, is Data going to stab us? The driving tension <laughs> of the episode was 
we got to get the ship moving again so Picard can get to his dinner. That was that was the main conflict of the episode. Yeah, he's really upset about it too. Like there's a scene where he's down in uh, down in engineering, just trying to get Jordy and Data to work harder. Well, that's because his boss is riding his ass, man. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know. Well, that means I'm going to ride your ass, Data, Jordy. Right, Data, Jordy, and Data, jo- Jada. Look, you guys are inseparable. All right. I don't even. Li- I don't even like Data anymore. It was weird. he tried to kill me. No, he didn't. Oh well, okay. A few weeks ago, he did. <laughs> Which actually takes us nicely into your bad thing. It does indeed. Here's a thing I noticed lately. Data's been spending a lot of time during season seven trying to kill the crew. I mean, just off the top of my head, Descent mm-hmm. here, and then in a few weeks on masks. There may be more that I can't remember. Look, Data, I like you. You're one of my favorite characters in all of Trek, but I predict you having some very lonely birthday parties in the cu- at the upcoming years. <laughs> you can't stab your friends. With a lot of uneaten cellular peptide cake. Yes. With, with mint frosting. With mint frosting. Oh. oh. Yeah, I think like, and I think that's cheap. I think it's it, it is cheap. It's like it's it, a cheap story thing to say the robot's trying to kill everyone. It's like if we have it's like they suddenly realize we have a robot crew member. So if we make him a bad guy, they can, everyone else can't stay mad at him because right. it's not his fault. He was programmed to be evil. Yeah. Now, granted, we had Spock go emotional a lot, mm-hmm. but eventually that sort of strained the credibility as well. Like you got to keep them mostly in character so that when they're out of character, it's surprising. Yeah. If they're constantly doing it, it's it's not interesting anymore. It just it it bugs me. It just it keeps happening and it's dumb. Yeah. I think it happens another time as well, but I can't think off yeah, the top of I, my head. See, I, I'm pretty sure you're right, but I can't for the life of me remember. Well, we'll get there. No. We'll get, well, I, if it show when it shows up, I will point it out again. Please please do. Um And yeah, once again, it's like, well, uh that wasn't really his fault. It was just his programming. Back to normal, everyone. Yep. See you tomorrow. Sorry, Troy. Oh, that's okay, Data. Now I'm going to bring you a cake that looks like you. Irony. Is it irony? Maybe. I don't think that it is. It might just be mean. No. I think that it's just... (laughs) I think it's just a thing that happens. Yeah, I don't think that it's (laughs) in any way ironic or, or, you know, anything. Sometimes things just happen. Right. They're not particularly ironic. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about your good thing? I like the weird imagery of this episode, you know? Mm-hmm. I like Cake Troy. I like Worf's complete enjoyment of eating Cake Troy. I like <laughs> Strawhead Riker. I like Data's chest phone. It's all weird. And this is one of the episodes I watched when I was a kid that really stuck out to me. I could see Because that. of how fucking weird it is. Yeah. Especially if you hadn't seen a lot of Star Trek at this point. You'd be yeah. like, is that what this show is? Yeah, it's just like... I, I mean, at that point, I was, you know, I was a Star Trek fan. Oh, okay. I'd seen like a bunch, like I'd seen a fair amount of episodes, but I was also, it was 1993, so I was like 10? Yeah. Nine? Yeah. And watching it was just like, God, this is fucking weird. Yeah, I could see that. It is weird, and it, and it maintains weirdness even now, I would say. It's weird, and also, you know, it's that data being like stabbing Troy again. That was fucking off putting to me. It was. It was. It was, it was genuinely off putting. Now I'm wondering. Because the whole thing is that the the dreams are his subconscious picking up on clues around. Mm. I'm I'm probably reading way too much into this, but you know what the hell? They're giving us a dream thing and saying it means something, so I'm I'm yeah. taking the opportunity. Worf really enjoying eating the Troy cake. I wonder if that's a hint that they're going to be involved. That's that is interesting. Maybe actually. maybe Data has has noticed some kind of chemistry between them. Yeah, but not consciously. I could see that because that's probably only a couple of weeks away now. Yeah. 
Maybe. I don't know. That's just mm. a that that's just a crazy theory. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, you know, if there's any place where we're going to read too much into Star Trek, it probably should be here. So fuck it. Yeah. Um Yeah. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> my uh my bad thing. Cake huh? cake is gross. Yeah, it kind of is. That's all. Now, I like the data dreaming stuff. I really do. Despite my better judgment, like it doesn't <laughs> seem like something I should like, but I don't necessarily think the dreams have to mean anything. Like, and, no. it, and I don't mind doing the trying to read into it. That, that's fun. That's a fun exercise. But really, it changes it from kind of a cool, kind of weird thing to just another device to tell stupid Braga stories. Now here's uh, the invisible monsters that Data can communicate with in his dreams. Okay, not communicate, but but detect. Yeah. But same thing. I loved it in The Sopranos where mm. uh, this is a device they would use where basically they didn't want to do a bunch of exposition where Tony almost had an answer to something. Mm-hmm. And then there would be this dream episode where he would sort of put the clues together in his subconscious in, in weird ways. And he'd wake up sort of knowing the thing he needed to know. That was much more interesting than giving it to you in exposition. Right. But here, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel... I like going through a person's subconscious. I don't really care about going through a robot's subconscious. You know, like it doesn't... Yeah. I'm not going to learn more about the character that way because I don't know. Do you understand what I mean? It's subconscious no. is exactly like a human's. The, there's a, there's a conceit in, in TV, uh, uh, like in TV shows and it's gone away in the last few years, but there's a conceit to have the dream episode. Yeah. And to have the dream, like, and dream episodes are never done like an actual dream, you know? Well, and that's another thing I loved about The Sopranos was that it was. They would yeah. do this weird sort of symbolism thing, and he, there'd be a lot of, like, I'm in my my house that I grew up in, and I turn around a corner, and I'm in the house that I live in now because my brain thinks they're the same and, you know, uh-huh. weird shit like that. And that's what I like. I think that show changed a lot of the way TV looked at stuff, but we're, we're definitely way before that, and you're looking at it in a very TV way here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I, I do, like, I do like that... It, they don't use it as, like, you know, just an excuse to have, like, ah, oh, we'll just have, you know, like, we'll just do something that can't happen. Here's a way to bring normal. Tasha back again. Yeah, exactly. Here's a way to, here's lore, whatever. Like, the fact that it's got, that it's more sort of weird and vague helps. Yeah, they're not. But it's still, it's still not very well executed. Well, and here's the thing. The, the the teaser, the the one or two minutes before the opening credits, Jordy mentions the warp core modifications. And we realize Data's dreaming. I can pretty much map out every plot beat of the story. Yeah. From there's this lame formulaic predictability with Braga stories. It falls right into that. Okay. Yep. So there's going to be some kind of invisible monsters because they're using the warp. If they changed something on the ship. And obviously, Jordy doesn't know how to do his job. So it got messed up somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, only Data. I, I thought that it would be that uh, uh, Data could communicate with them through his dreams. And it ended up being not that, but something very close to it. Yeah. Just uh, not great. I don't know. Most of the plot seems to exist solely so we can get to the weird shit, you know? And we've said that a few times about this writer already. Yeah. Where he just, he it seems like he has a list of things he wants to do, and he gets there however he gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is unfortunate, because... No, I just, I don't like the sort of, I don't like the leap in, in lot. It's very Batman 66. Uh, <laughs> oh, take yeah. When Picard sort of, like... It's like, well, we've got these weird-ass bugs all over us, mm-hmm. and Data's been acting weird. They must be connected. There can't be two strange things going on in the same week. Not on my ship. Not on my ship in Season 7. Yeah, no. Definitely not. <laughs> I like that Data sleeps, like, in a bed, 
undercovers in full uniform? Yes. This does answer my long-running question of whether or not Data has a bed in his quarters. Yes, he does. And sheets. Yep. That he pulls over himself before he falls asleep. Yep. I always imagined he just slept on the couch like Mulder. Now, they do this cute thing where Uh, he stretches and yawns before he sleeps. Yes. Which is obviously an affectation. I think he should have gone further than that. I think he should have worn a whole, like, like full suit of pajamas with a nightcap. Yes. I mean, we know he owns one. He wore it in the uh, in the, the Christmas Carol episode. Oh, that's true. Um, so, like, it's not like he doesn't have access. Right. And I assume they just wanted to keep the uh, the scene moving. Yeah. But really, if Data's going to, gonna like, do the whole, I'm a human and I'm sleeping. Could uh, borrow Picard the Jim Jams. Right. Then, then we get my uh, Jim Jams. Then we get some more answers about what Data's got going on in various places, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, we know he has a schlong. Well, yes, we're... No one can take that away from him. Well, it's possible someone took that away from him. I mean, it could be... Detached. I guess that's true. That those miners could clearly disassemble him pretty well. Oh, those miners. I just... I couldn't think of anybody but the Dreadnoughts from uh, nope. G.I. Joe, because... You're, com- you're completely right. Because they look like three working-class English guys who are kind of tough. Right. Okay, now we've got to mess you up with my pickaxe, I am. Ever... Right, everyone leave us alone, or we're going to tear apart this android. And then we're going to give it to Zartan. That's just... That's, that's right. What, that's what they reminded me of. I'll brush my teeth with orange soda. <laughs> Code Slither, you'll be joining us soon. <laughs> You're not going to do a better Dreadnoughts uh, uh, quote than that. I win. Nope. <laughs> but that's who they reminded me of. The, just like the, the tough-looking, working-class English blokes. Yep. Who, they I guess, are blokes. I guess represent the bugs under people's skin or something. I don't. Yeah, know. you know how that is. Sure. That's that's. Now what... we're getting into a weird working class English parasite thing. <laughs> I'm jotting this down. Thanks, for next... Thatcher. For our next Nick and Willikins. <laughs> um, as far as the symbolism goes, though, I mean, bringing Sigmund Freud actually into Ugh. it to discuss it, they they could have maybe not done that. That felt th- very Voyager to me. Very Ugh. here's a here's a famous human we haven't brought into the show yet. Let's have this one. Why not? Now there is precedent for uh, data visiting. Oh, there uh, is holograms of old dead famous people when he has problems. No, like I that understand. happens a lot. Yeah, it does. But- On the other hand, you'd think he would know better than to go to Freud, who we have figured out it was full of shit. Now, well, I mean, so much of of psychology now has to do with you know with brain chemicals and not with like like freudian urges i mean we've already you know when you when you go to a shrink now the first thing they're going to ask you is your your genetic history rather than you know tell me about your mother that's like i suppose they're the same thing though genetic history really is saying tell me about your mother but you know what i mean like there's there's a whole different tack to that now and you'd think by Mm -hmm. the future they'd be completely done with that bullshit that would be nice but Maybe not. And even, like, Troy puts the idea in his head in the first place. She's like, well, you know, Sigmund Freud said this. Uh And then he comes back and says, well, I talked to Sigmund Freud and blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, really? Freud? Like, I don't think she ever believed what he said. I think she was just quoting him. Yeah. And Data took it a little too literally. I went and saw Freud. Why? Yeah. Well, because you said Freud. Yeah, I say a lot of things. Did Did he tell you you wanted to fuck your mother? He says it a lot to everyone. Yeah. And that's not just the hollow one. That's, that's no. That's the real one. We brought him <laughs> forward in time in uh, Rufus's time machine. 
I'm going to invent psychology so that people won't think it's weird that I really want to fuck my mother. Cigar? <laughs> yeah. Here, have this. Um, there's an episode break where Data oversleeps. Yeah. That's the big, you know, dun, the... dun, dun. Data's late to work. Oh, no. Yeah. It's the best they could do. Whatever will we do? Hmm. Well. What will become of him? <laughs> Oh, there's... oh, he'll just show up for late, a little late. Right, just like all of us ever have ever. Yeah. There's that ensign that uh, has a crush on Jordy. Yep. Who I thought was adorable, Ensign Tyler. Yep, and, and who whom he ha he wanted nothing to do with, which was weird. Right, I thought that was weird. And <laughs> Yeah, you were like, come on, Jordy, get in there. Yeah, get it, come on. What's wrong with you? Data's like, I will introduce the two of you. Yeah, well, look, she works for me. I already know who she is. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be your wingman. He does, he sort of uh, uh, volunteers to be his wingman, which I think yep. is adorable. Jordy and Data in the morning. Yep. Uh, that's all the things that I had. What Anything about else? I'm just looking at this. Uh, my, my final note here is Captain's Log. We killed another intelligent life form we've never met before. Hooray. Mm hmm. Because there ha there, that is another thing in Braga episodes where they meet these hostile aliens that they never try to communicate with and they just try to kill. Yep. This is the second or third time that's happened already, and it'll probably happen more. Braga sure loves murder. It's like we're supposed to be contacting new aliens. That's the whole fucking point. Listen to the opening credits. And they don't even try to once talk to them. They just kill them. It's not cool, man. No, it's not. It's not great. No. I mean, at least try. Fucking, you're better than this. You're fucking Star Trek. You would think. Ugh. Yeah. What about you? Anything else? No, I think that's everything. Give me oh, hmm? I was surprised. Um, I went online to check on this. There is no, as far as I can tell, there is no uh, Troy Cake fetish art out there. That surprises me. Right? Well, that was my first assumption when watching this movie or episode. Well, we we have a we have a couple of uh, art people out there. Why don't you uh, draw some kind of uh, <laughs> Counselor Troy Cake fetish thing? Because there's obviously a need for it. Yeah, get on that. Tumblr <laughs> fill a niche. Tumblr demands it. I assume <laughs> is that's where all the that's where all the fetishes go, right? Tumblr. That or DeviantArt. Yeah. So uh, do that and and so get our, on that. Slap our logo at the bottom. That's all. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to like put our names on it or just a tiny little post-atomic horror at the bottom. That's it. <laughs> post-atomic horror. Your one-stop shop shop for cake, cake Troy fetish art. <laughs> well, she is the cake boss. <laughs> cake boss. Matt, you got a quote? Uh, yes, I do, actually. It is the most obvious quote from this episode. Goodbye, Spot. He will need to be fed once a day. He prefers feline supplement number 25. I understand. And he will require water. And you must provide him with a sandbox. And you must talk to him. Tell him he is a pretty cat. And a good cat. I will feed him. Yeah. That's one of those when we went into this, like, it would be like, okay, there's going to be five quotes we're absolutely going to use over the course yeah. of these 178 episodes, and that would have been on the list. Mm. But It was actually, it was between this one and Worf saying cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. I love just the way he says, with mint frosting. He's like enjoying the shit out of that Troy cake. Yep. I wonder what the mint frosting is meant to represent. Mm. That must be symbolic as well. Probably of his mother. Yeah, I'm surprised that the Troy cake was not chocolate. Well, yeah. Maybe... You would think, right? Maybe just a little too on the nose. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Any anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. Very well. Well, that is all for this week. We, as ever, uh, appreciate your patronage. Next week we will be doing. Let me pull my list up, and I'll tell you. Dark we got page. Dark page. And oh, an attached. Oh, Ugh. I don't care for that one. Dark page is fine. Attached. I really have some serious issues with, but you'll hear all those next week. So look forward to that. Yes. Now, Matt, tell the people. See you, folks. Thank you for telling them that. I have told them. You've been the told. telling is done. You've been done told. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.